So today we are on the full moon, the full moon in Sagittarius. So we have the forces of Sagittarius opposite to the forces of Gemini. Uh, we're talking about a certain kind of uh, figuring out our message. Uh, not only what is our message, how we're going to plan to deliver that message. So what's happening today is all about communication. It's all about information. It's about the ability to take wisdom, which is the moon in Sagittarius, and spread it through the means of Gemini. But one of the interesting things that's happening, because Gemini obviously is ruled by Mercury, and Mercury is sitting right on top of Uranus right now, and on top of Vesta, it is a pretty interesting uh, period. It's an interesting period because what's happening, like we talked about it last week, is that the idea of the past, the hearth, Vesta, and the future, Uranus, are coming together in a conjunction. That's happened last week, and it's happening this week. Uh, this week, it's going to be even stronger because Mercury is literally going to be sitting on top of Uranus, and that's going to happen uh, from today, the next few days. It's a time of brilliance. It's a time of new ideas. It's a time of placing the camera in a completely different place. It's a time of um, um, standing up on your hands or uh, on your head in order to look at things differently. So when Mercury is on top of Uranus, that happens once a year approximately. We are talking about an opportunity to see things differently and to uh, uh, to be aware of things that we couldn't see before. So again, Uranus on top of Mercury, a really strong time that has to do with communication, networking, looking at things outside of the box, anything to do with technology, scientific approach. Um, and it's brilliant. It's basically a period of brilliance. And that means that right now you're going to have a lot of ideas that maybe in the future you wouldn't. And right now you might not have the ability to manifest those dreams or these abilities or these ideas, which you will be in um, in the future. So just open a file on your phone called Mercury on top of Uranus, my crazy ideas, and just spill out everything that you think is, is interesting unique, original, uh, maybe a glimpse of the future. What I'm trying to say is that right now we have a lot of forward memories, meaning memories that come from the future, memories of things yet to come. That's going to be throughout this week. And because Jupiter is heading closer and closer and closer to Mercury, it's just enhancing it. And remember, we talked about how this period in June, we have quite a lot of emphasis in uh, Taurus. We have the North Node in Taurus until July 13. Jupiter Jupiter in Taurus until May 26 next year, Mercury in Taurus for another week or so, Uranus in Taurus until 2026, and Vesta in Taurus for the next few months. So definitely there is a lot of activity in Taurus. Even though we are in Gemini, if you look at the chart, you see only the sun is in Gemini. The rest are in Taurus. So Taurus is still very, very dominant, even though we are in the realm of Gemini. Uh, the other thing that is happening closer and closer, no, actually, this is not too bad. We actually have a beautiful um, a trine forming between Chiron and uh, 
Minerva and the moon today. So there's a beautiful trine of healing. So this is a day where you can ask for healing, where you can receive healing, where you can actually give a good word, two good words, a sentence or two to somebody in need. So there's definitely some positive movement around the healing and the kind of healing that comes through fire. It could be a healing through action. So instead of talking about it, even though we're in Gemini, it might be more about doing something or uh, applying some physical um, uh, physical effort in order to overcome a wound, um, an insecurity or anything that boggles you down or makes you a little bit more heavy right now. So again, Mars in Leo is called Valor in the Tarot card. It's the Seven of Discs, uh, Seven of Wands. We have uh, Minerva in Leo. And so the moon in Sagittarius and Chiron in Aries creates the full house, like a playing poker uh, of fire. So definitely a lot of healing. That's the triangle that you can see in the chart very, very strongly. Of course, there's also the box. We talked about the box yesterday. The box confined us that put us a little bit more in in kind of a, a feeling of heaviness. And that is because you have the box between Jupiter Pluto and the South Node and the North Node. Uh, we talked about it. Pluto is creating a square right now with the North Node and the South Node, a square that is getting tighter and tighter and tighter as we get uh, closer to middle of July. And that basically means that we have some uh, representative from the past, representative of the future. They come together. It's like the past and the future are colliding. And they, yes, they're colliding in the, pre in, the in the present, but it's not very easy because it pulls you and push you in different direction. It pulls you back to the past, maybe through regret, maybe through doubt, maybe through um, fear that I've done something wrong or that I am going in the wrong direction. And uh, the future, meaning that there is some skepticism, doubt that I can make it happen. So those elements are now squishing us because of Pluto's square and Jupiter's square. So again, it's getting tighter and tighter. It's not the best, or let's say it's not the easiest time, even though we don't have any retrogrades right now. It kind of feels like things are stuck or things are not moving very well. If we look at um, uh, the day after, we're talking about Monday, June 5th. On June 5th, the moon is moving into Capricorn. Uh, moon in Capricorn is not happy. Again, we talked about it. When the moon is opposite to where she wants to be, which is in Cancer, she's considered to be in exile. So it's almost as if mommy left us and we're now stuck with the uh, babysitter or whatever, uh, maybe babysitter in the good sense. And maybe we're all alone there in the house and we're kind of scared. So the moon in Capricorn always represents a feeling that we are not completely in touch with our mother energy, with our nurturing energy. We feel like we have to do things alone. For example, when somebody has the moon in Capricorn in the chart, sometimes it means that they are their mother's mother or their mother's parent in a sense, or there's a feeling that I'm an older soul compared to my parents. So moon in Capricorn means that we're kind of on our own here. Um, and that's going to be Tuesday and, sorry, Monday and Tuesday. There's a feeling that there needs to be more focus on career, less focus on home and family. But what's happening nice on June 5th is the fact that the moon is sending really good energy towards Jupiter. And that's very, very positive. Um, Jupiter 
Uh, Jupiter trining the uh, the moon is actually very helpful. That's part of the trine that you see over there. The moon is sending on Monday very good energy to the Lord Karma, very good energy to Jupiter, which is the giver of gifts. So even though the moon doesn't like to be in Capricorn because she's in Capricorn, she's actually getting good vibes from Taurus and from Saturn. So even though the moon is not in the most auspicious place, uh, sign-wise, she's very well located. The only thing is um, that the moon is squaring a little bit of Neptune. That causes a little bit of deception, illusions, some questions about um, our insights. But regardless of that, the moon on top of Jupiter is an instinct about expansion. It's almost as if you're you're able to walk towards the path where you might find expansion, why you might find a treasure, you might find somebody helping you out and because the moon is trining the north node obviously the lunar nodes love to be connected in a good way to the nodes the south and the north node are aligned very well tomorrow uh, to the moon on monday so that is a good day to work with women to work with family members um, to tap into memories from past lives that can help you deal with situation that you have right now in this life so again we're going to have that on monday and on Tuesday, what's happening, since the moon is advancing in Capricorn, she's going to be also sending a trine to the planets that are advanced in Taurus. And that will include Vesta, Mercury, and Uranus that are getting tighter and tighter in their conjunction. So Tuesday is a very good day to deal with something with tradition. Not only we have moon in Capricorn, which is a very traditional sign, but she's also sending a beautiful energy to Vesta, which also represents the hearth and tradition in a positive way like learning from the past in a sense. So the moon in Capricorn sending beautiful energy to Uranus talks about innovation, maybe meeting an interesting friend or somebody who is very unique or very different that can help you. Unexpected help maybe coming through real estate, home, family, locations. And also because the moon is sending great energy to Mercury, it's a connection of IQ and EQ, meaning that your emotional state could bring you into an intellectual clarity, your intellectual ideas can bring you into emotional clarity. There is some element of wanting to get secured and wanting to get more grounded. If we look um, further down on Wednesday, we have June 7. On Wednesday, we have something interesting. The moon is moving into Aquarius and because of that, she has to pass through Pluto. So we have a conjunction on Wednesday between Moon and Pluto, major transformation around the whole idea of home and family. And also the Moon is moving into Aquarius for two days, which is a really good instinct that has to do with people, friendships, communities, nonprofit, uh, philanthropic work. You need anything done with the government, uh, or permits or so forth, a corporation, organization, Wednesday, Thursday will be a great time for that. Uh, and the moon on top of Pluto just means major transformation in connection to your uh, emotional state. Or uh, it is interesting because when the moon is on top of Pluto, automatically by default, she's going to be squaring Jupiter and squaring the south and the north node. And that's why you see on Wednesday a form, a, a cross and a square is forming and no triangles to help us. So definitely it is not the easiest uh, day. So Wednesday this week can be very loaded. We have the moon opposite to Venus, Pluto opposite to Venus. All these oppositions cause a situation of being pushed and pulled by two people, two different directions, two bosses. Then the moon is squaring Jupiter, which creates 
over uh, trying too much or uh, smothering. Sometimes it means that um, uh, there could be even spreading myself. I'm running uh, between one project to the other. So definitely Wednesday, not the easiest day. So if you're planning uh, things for Wednesday, just relax a little bit more into it and, and don't over schedule yourself on Wednesday. Again, because the moon is going to be on Pluto, very emotional energy, very ups and downs. Uh, and also the squaring to Jupiter just makes everything bigger and makes everything more complicated. Thursday, uh, the moon is still doing all that squaring, but she's also doing a trine to the sun. So Thursday is a little bit better because we have a very good flow between the moon and the sun, father and mother. So in that sense, there is more energy helping you out uh, in that sense. So it should get a little bit easier, but the squares are going to be very tight with Uranus, with uh, Vesta and with Mercury. So it could be misunderstanding, miscommunication, emotions are against intellect. It's again a little bit more of a messy day, especially because the the moon is also opposite to uh, Minerva and opposite to Mars. So this week, Wednesday and Thursday are definitely not the easiest times. Um, if we look at um, Friday, the energy shifts around a little bit because the moon is getting out of the opposition and it's coming into a conjunction with Saturn. So the moon on top of Saturn is almost like the moon in Capricorn. Again, it creates some uh, release of karma. So this Friday, June 9th, you are releasing some element of karma. There is a feeling that um, uh, I'm emotionally more down or more heavy. Uh, the moon in Pisces definitely helps us with everything to do with imagination, coming up with new solutions to problems, uh, seeing things a little bit differently. Uh, the moon in Pisces is also very much connected to the ability uh, to perceive things that otherwise were hidden, especially because the moon is going to be sextiling the North Node and Jupiter. So because the moon is moving into Pisces, which is a water sign, it's going to get along much better with all the Earth um, planets slash asteroids slash nodes that we're having right now. So again, the moon in Pisces on Friday, Saturday and Sunday is going to be very magical, very mystical, very intuitive. But at the same time, because it sits at least on Friday on top of Saturn, there might be extra responsibility around family members or women who are older than you can have a harder time uh, or you can have a harder time with them. But on the good level, there is a lot of things that can be done because the moon on top of Saturn is very practical and the moon sending a sextile to the North Node and Jupiter really helps us uh, get things done. So Friday is kind of a mixed bag, but it's a much better than Wednesday and Thursday. So if you're looking for a day to uh, to make things happen, it's Monday and Friday. Sorry, yeah, Monday, Tuesday and Friday. Wednesday and Thursday are going to be a little bit more uh, heavy in that sense or more difficult to handle. Uh, what's happening on Saturday is that the moon is getting even better energy towards Uranus and Mercury. So there could be a lot of insights, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of uh, aha moments that can really help you. The only thing on that day on Saturday is a clash between the moon and the sun squaring and the moon and the sun squaring can create much more, let's say, heavy, again, challenge energy, a little bit more of a feeling of lack of satisfaction on Saturday. So it's almost as if it doesn't matter what you're planning on Saturday, it could be a little bit more difficult or a little bit more heavy or not fulfilled the way that you want it. 
And if we look at um, a Sunday, what's happening is that the moon is going to be on top of Neptune. That talks about an energy that has to do with... Um, let's say, an instinct uh, about Neptune. And that means uh, intuition, gut feelings, uh, anything that has to do with your uh, connection to imagination, photography, cinematography. It's a good mystical day, definitely, on Sunday. Sunday will be a great day to sleep longer, uh, to have nice dreams, to meditate, to dance. Uh, again, because the moon is going to be on top of Neptune, that happens once a month, but... It's sending beautiful energy at that time to Vesta. And what's also happening to um, uh, us on June 11 is that Mercury is moving away from being in Taurus into Gemini. And we're starting to get the feeling that Gemini is taking over Taurus, but not completely. The idea is that we're going to have Mercury for the next three weeks in Gemini. It's much, much better. Information flows much clearer. We're out of the shadow. Uh, so things are supposed to get well again. Remember, we have until July 22nd to achieve things before Venus goes retrograde and August 27th, then when Uranus is going uh, retrograde, sorry, when um, uh, Mercury goes retrograde. So we have uh, right now a period where we can get things done in a sense, uh, even if we have some issues with some of the planets. But next Sunday, Moon in Pisces, it's also going to move around the middle of the day to Aries and a new cycle of the Moon uh, begins. Let's see. Uh, I know that, uh, uh, sorry guys, in Instagram, I have no idea why it is so uh, difficult today with uh, the connection. Um, I don't see it so much on my computer, but I see it very strongly uh, on uh, the Instagram. So I know that you guys get in, out, in, out, in, out. Uh, maybe it's part of the full moon vibes. Uh, so... Yes, so I just wanted to remind you guys, if you are in Europe or if you plan to come to England in Finhorn, I'm going to do that workshop for two weeks, two weeks, a whole weekend about um, how to interpret your chart, how to become your own astrologer. We're going to have a lot of games. It's going to start from Friday, July 21st until uh, July 24. And I'm going to do a tarot class whole day in Sunday, uh, July 16 in London, but it's also going to be a webinar. So if anybody wants to join, uh, make sure that you get the Toth deck uh, with you. Yes, there will be recording. And uh, of course, you are welcome to join in person. So either if you're in London, you can join in person July 16 or webinar or um, on Zoom. And then we're going to also have a class on sacred spaces, how to transform your home, your office, your bedroom, your car into a sacred place, a sacred chariot. And we're going to have the past lifetime regression also uh, that I'm going to offer in Edinburgh that is going to be also in um, webinar format. And if you are in read for uh, in person, July 4 to 11 in Zurich, July 11 to 18 in uh, uh, London, in Edinburgh, July 18 to 21, and Tel Aviv, July 1st, August 1st to uh, 14, and Istanbul, June 19 to 30th. So I really hope I can see you. So a few things happened this week, and of course we are in uh, uh, entered June, which around the world is celebrated as Pride Month, which is again very interesting because Gemini is the ruler of the sign, and Gemini is androgynous. Gemini is in the tarot card the lovers. 
So it's kind of interesting that we are celebrating Pride around the world at this time. And during this uh, month of Pride, it's really interesting how an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and how karma comes back raging. Uh, you know how in the um, United States we are getting primitive, we are walking back in time, and we are blurring the uh, boundaries between government and um, religion, which was would, would have caused all the fathers of the church, sorry, the, father church the fathers of uh, um, this country, the founding fathers to go berserk because that was precisely against what they were planning. And it goes uh, to mention that places like Utah and Florida and Texas and the South in America, uh, where they supposedly uh, love the Bible and really appreciate the Bible, they started this whole maniac of banning books. Uh, because of all of this grooming and so forth. And then one parent that is very, very, I, I highly admire her, um, she actually went ahead and she demanded the removal of the Bible. Now, it's really interesting. I don't think that she's part of our uh, weekly um, sessions here, but remember when the banning started, I did this whole thing here about how if anybody's banning a book uh, from uh, schools, the book should definitely be the Bible. Even though I love the Bible, I do classes on the Bible, I get chills when I think about stories uh, from the Bible. Uh, yet, I do admit that the Bible is truly, as the parent wrote, uh, full of incest, onanism, bestiality, prostitution, genital uh, mutilation, fellatios, dildos, uh, rape, uh, and even uh, infocide. And worse things, actually. Actually, worse things. I mean, she just listed a few of the things. And definitely, it should be made illegal. And in March, uh, that's when the parent actually talked about it because of the new law that she wants to make sure that, and it's a quote, get this porn out of our school if the books that have been banned so far are any indication for way lesser offenses, the Bible should be slam dunk. And I, she's absolutely right. The Bible is full of uh, rated RRR um, stories. And yet they are there, illustrated, or as their own, or there's their normal form in a lot of the libraries. So that's kind of um, interesting because in Utah, they also decided, you know what, we should also be removing the Book of Mormon, which is their Bible, uh, out of the school. And uh, they said that they will reassess it. And the request to remove the book in reference uh, to violence, especially in connection to battlefields and so forth. So it's uh, also interesting because the Bible in some of these places that books are banned is depicted as if it is an actual historical account, as if these stories are real. You know, the fact that they were borrowed by from other Near Eastern uh, uh, cultures or from other poems, for example, like Gilgamesh and so forth, or the story of Saragon II, that doesn't matter for a lot of the people in the Bible Belt and below the Belt, uh, it is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So I think that what we're going to see is quite a lot of these situation where we're going to see back and forth banning of the Bible around uh, um, 
around the United States. And one of the interesting things that also happened uh, recently, if you did notice, is that Uganda passed these anti-gay laws uh, that punishable, you know, by arrest or death or whatever they decided over there. Which is kind of funny because this country is not doing very well, to say the least. And the most important thing that they discovered that they have to work on right now is to um, uh, pass these anti-gay laws. And, and of course, because for them, it's the feeling of liberation from colonialism and the Western uh, attitude now towards gay. The only thing is that these guys, these, these politicians or whatever they are, I don't know, religious people, are literally ignorant because what they are doing is they're actually falling completely into the trap of colonialism because it is colonialism that brought the anti-homosexuality into Africa. Uh, actually, in Uganda, I, I found out that there was an openly gay king uh, in uh, four or five hundred years ago. And in Africa, it wasn't at all a problem until the colonials came in and brought their attitudes that were completely distorted about gays or homosexuality into Africa. And how do we know that? We see that most of the laws that are anti-gay in, um, in Africa are in countries that were part of the Commonwealth. Because in England, the anti-gay sentiment was the strongest during the Victorian age. So any country that was under the rule of the Commonwealth are actually much more homophobic, not because they are true African, but because they are still enslaved uh, to the colonial way of thinking. The only difference is that instead of being how the colonials are now in England, they are how they were in the 19th century. So not only they're colonial, still their attitude are fixated in the past. They're like primitives in the past. If you look, for example, at uh, uh, countries in Africa that were under the French rule, and the French decriminalized a, a gay uh, sex in 1750, I think it became uh, okay. In England, it only became okay in six, 1967. We had to lose Turing uh, before that, you know, because of that uh, attitude. So these people in Uganda that are trying to break away from colonialism actually are surrendering to it again and again because of ignorance and idiosity. So it's really interesting how people can come together and be so stupid as a collective especially if they don't understand history but anyway I was I want to go back to um, uh, talking a little bit about the Bible uh, and especially because of how uh, these people that profess to be Bible lovers are the ones that are running around trying to ban books so let me give you a little bit of a taste from a class that I did, what, two weeks ago in Pasadena in a church. So we talked about it in a church, actually. Um, and I talked about how the idea of redemption is so strong in the Bible that people that actually love the Bible, especially in the United States or, or Uganda, have no idea about that connection to redemption. They think the Bible is about smiting and about killing and about transforming into pillars of salt. You know, that's what they love about that book. That's what uh, makes them very, very excited. But what they don't understand and they don't read and they don't know, or maybe they do and they just have the cognitive dissonance, which we talked about is the cancer of humanity, that a lot of the characters in the Bible are not only flawed, they're prostitutes, they're um, probably homosexual, God knows what's going on there. So think about the most loved character in the Bible. It's King David. And if you think about King David, his name is mentioned the most amount of time next to the word love. 
And his name even means the beloved. God loved him. His enemies loved him. Everybody loved him. Um, Saul, who was supposed to be his enemy, uh, King Saul loved him. One of his sons, Jonathan, gave up his uh, crown to be with David, stripped himself naked and kissed him. Um, And that's why we think that David and Jonathan had a little love affair. And Jonathan's sister, which was Michal, also was married to David. You know, it was a kind of an interesting triangle. And she also loved uh, David. Everybody loved David. Even his enemies, the Philistines, loved David. But anyway, who is this David? Where did he come from? What is his story of origin? So if you go back and look, so first of all, from his mother's side and his father's side, he's not even Jewish. So his uh, ancestors are from a foreign uh, culture, not only a foreign culture, a foreign culture that is not only reprimanded, but ridiculed and considered to be um, the worst of the worst, a Moabite, you know. So, for example, if you think about uh, the story of... um, Uh, King David and where he came from. So let's go back in time. One of the things that probably alerted that woman in Utah that she wanted to ban the Bible, and I totally understand, is the story of Lot's daughters. I don't know if you guys know about that very, very juicy story. You know about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know about how we use still the word Sodomite to explain homosexuality. And I'm talking about this today in Pride Weekend here in LA. So in West Hollywood, sorry. So you can get the, 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 the gist of it. So you know how for centuries we are talking about Sedomite or she was, he was Sedomite or Sedomism and so forth. Where is it coming from? Obviously, Sedom and Gomorrah. Why is it coming from there? There was two cities that were next to the Dead Sea. At that time, the Dead Sea was not a dead, um, so dead. Actually, at that time, uh, the Dead Sea, yes, it was a salty sea, but it was located in a place that was in almost semi-tropical. It was very, very lush. Jericho was uh, not farther from there so there were cities that were very populated and what happened according to the story we have lot who is uh, abraham's nephew he lives there he has uh, daughters uh, he's pretty prosperous and anyway two angels are coming to visit him now angels at that time they didn't have these wings they were just walking normally like other people the wing came way later as an influence from uh, iran or persia um but that's first indicated in the Bible that angels can fly only in the book of Daniel that came about 500 BCE. So we're talking about at that time, angels didn't have wings. They didn't evolve the wings. They were start devolved. So anyway, they were coming to visit Lot. And um, Lot, of course, was a very kind host and he led them into the house. Now, suddenly there was a crowd forming outside of his house. And these are the Sedomite people from Sedom. And they demanded to know the new guests that uh, Lot got. You know, it's almost like in the, uh, I don't know, in the applications or uh, when there is a new kid in town, everybody wants to meet them and so forth. So these guys were saying, oh, you have new guests. We want to know them. You know, biblical know. I'm talking about biblical know basically means we want to have sex. We want to know them all the way in and out. And that's why we have the idea of Sedomites, because uh, the city of Sedom, Sedom, it's called in Hebrew, but uh, Sedom was filled with homosexuals that wanted to rape these two angelitos that came to visit Lot. How do we know this is all bullshit? 
because the next scene that happens is Lot. Lot is a very pious person, very good person, very kind person, and a very good host to his two angels that are uh, guys. And he comes out to the uh, people outside, gathering outside, and tells them, oh, what you're trying to do is really bad. You shouldn't try to rape my uh, guests. That is not good. Here, why don't you take my daughters and you can have them because I am such a good host. I am going to give your my daughters for you to have sex with and to rape. Just leave my guests alone because it's not nice to uh, do bad things to your guests. It's okay to do it to my girls. Now, if they are really sodomites and if they are really homosexuals and they want to rape guys, uh, they would not be that satisfied with the girls. And of course, also Lot would not think, oh, I should give them my girls. He would either think I should give them my boys or my slaves that are men, right? So we know that all of this is a, is a little bit of a weird story because the solution for the story is give them the girls, uh, let's save the boys, okay? That's the first thing. But never mind. That's just to show you how evil the people in Sadam were, whether they wanted to rape boys or girls. It doesn't really matter. It's the same kind of nastiness and, 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 and badness. But you see that there is some karma forming here about rape. You know, if you read the book really well, because the Bible is an amazing book of stories. It was not supposed to be a pious book that is, um, a, I don't know what, a, supposed to make you... Um, feel self-important like they do it in the in the bible belt and all the other places it's a it's a book of stories like any kind of book like lord of the ring and like uh um like um a, i don't know the matrix it's it's a book with uh superheroes and uh, villains and everything it's not uh, a, a documentary overly overall it's not a true story anyway so but you see that there is an underlying theme in the story here. And the theme is sex, rape, destruction. Okay, next thing you know, God decides, you know what? I'm done with the Sedomites. I'm going to uh, destroy the city, uh, bury it in sand or something or, or salt. And he tells Lot, listen, take your girl, your wife, uh, leave the town. And whatever you do, don't look back because looking back is symbolic to wanting to bring back that energy to you. You know, when I go to a cleanse, for example, in Santeria, uh, even if you do it yourself and you take an egg and you rub around on your body to cleanse your aura, then you're supposed to throw it back without looking back, you know, making sure that you don't hit anybody there. And then you walk forward. You're not allowed to look back at where you threw the egg that just cleansed you, because if you look back, you're going to attract that negative energy again. So that's the story. That's what God told a, a Lot and his wife. Don't look back. Don't have regret. Don't uh, think about your past. Move forward. Because if you look back, you have the danger of attracting that negative energy back to you. And of course, the wife was curious. She turned back and she turned into a pillow, pillar of, of salt. Then the two girls and their father came to a safe place. They're sitting there. It's night. And the girls are thinking, oh my God, that's it. All men are, I mean, we're alone here. There is no more men. The only man alive is our father. And uh, we need to continue our line. We need to um, make sure that we're mothers, right? Uh, the other sister is saying, okay, uh, we brought some wine. Yes, we have some wine. So let's get him drunk. Let's get our father drunk. And tonight, I'm going to have sex with him and get pregnant. And tomorrow night, you could do the same thing so you can get pregnant. And that way, we're going to have a father slash lover. Our kids will be our, uh, what is it going to be? Our um, 
siblings slash children are complicated. Anyway, that's what they did. And in the Bible, that what is written. The Lot's, Lot's daughters actually raped their father by making him drunk. So we have incest. We have rape. And the first sexual abuse is actually between a daughter to a father, not a father to a daughter. So you see, there's a little bit of a, a you know, kind of a agenda here to whoever wrote that Bible. And the 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 Lot's daughter names her son Moab. Moab, the Moabites are coming from them. What is Moab? In Hebrew, Moab means from my father. It's kind of on the nose. Uh, so her kid is from her father, uh, so that she called him Moab. It's almost as if you call your son from father. From father, come here. So from father became Moabites. And if we pass forward and get to the book of Ruth, if you remember the book of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabite and she is the daughter-in-law of uh, Naomi. And they uh, come together to Beit Lechem, and eventually she finds Boaz there, who is um, a, a rich person that has land there in Beit, in Beit Lechem, and they are married, and they're, they're great-grandparents of King David. So King David came from a Moabite who came from a rape and an incest. And if you look at the other side of um, David's, uh, let's say, lineage, you get to Tamar. And Tamar was one of Judah's uh, daughters-in-law, and she had to disguise herself as a prostitute, have sex and lie about it with her father-in-law in order to have twins, or some of these twins would later on become the uh, ancestors of David as well. So you see that from both sides of King David, it's uh, incest, it's, it's rape, it is... Uh, um, Everything that you thought was a taboo is basically what King David is made of. And why is it so important, not only for Jews, but also for Christians? Because from David through Solomon and Bathsheba, we have a, the line that gave us Jesus. So it's kind of interesting. And another interesting thing about uh, Jesus, if you think about Jesus, he had two fathers and he grew up to be a perfectly good Person. So all these people that think that two fathers cannot raise a good kid, meaning gay fathers can't be a really good family for um, for somebody, well, they should look at the life of Jesus. Jesus had Joseph as his uh, father and God as his father, right? So he grew up with two fathers. So what I'm trying to say to you is stories can be bent any way you want it. Uh, you can bend it for good. You can bend it for bad. I think that you should might as well bend the stories for good instead of bad, meaning to accept people instead of rejecting them. So I think that's our, um, uh, let's say, we can call it our pride, uh, pride talk. I hope um, you had a good, um, you're going to have a good week. And next week, we're going to, I'm going to still be here before my flight. I'm going to do this uh, session with you so you can uh, have some uh, information for the week ahead. And the week after, I think I'm going to be doing it from Sofia and the week after from Istanbul and the week after from uh, the Mediterranean. And then we're going to have a little break after 40, um, 40 sessions. So we stick to the biblical idea of 40. Um, have an amazing week and I wish you all love and happiness and a lot of pride in whatever it is that you're proud of. Um, as long as you're not proud of killing people, raping people, uh, or offering your girls to rapers instead of guests, 
And I hope um, uh, to see you in person.